The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. When it comes to sports photography, the challenge for the photographer is trying to capture the pinnacle of human physicality. Often from the sidelines and with a long telephoto lens, photographers are photographing people who are testing their bodies to the limit. But what happens when the only way to get the shot is to get in closer and push your own body to near exertion. That's the world of Lucia Grigi, who is one of the world's best adventure and lifestyle photographers who specializes in surf photography. Her fantastic photographs often call on her to put in as much physical effort as the men and women she photographs. Well, Lucia, welcome to the Candid Frame. It's a real pleasure to, to have you. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you for inviting me. In, in researching you, I saw that you began your life in the water, for lack of a better term, uh, when you were younger, when you were in school, you were competing as a swimmer. How, how did you get involved in that sport? Well, I was brought up between England and Italy, and I was always very much invested in music and also sport. So in my youth, I was always a part of, you know, um, classical music. I grew up with that, with the piano and the flute. And then on the other side of things, I was very active and became very involved in swimming. So it was a balance between both. But um, either of them, I progressed quite quickly. I'm assuming I ended up being a competitive swimmer at a very young age and spent most of my hours and days really of the week out of school actually practicing the sport itself. When you say at a young age, how, how, how young were you when you started? Um, I started swimming when I was about seven years of age. So that was in London in Surrey. And I progressed through a local swimming club there and yeah, just became part of the main team. And I started training internationally with that and competing at a national level. And so, yeah, it was always being in the water and swimming. It's something I grew up with, even though I sort of came out and tapered out of competitive swimming when I was around 19 years of age, which is when I started college. So I never really you know, progressed pass that into a professional, you know, into it in a professional way. So it was, it was very much a something I you know was very invested in when I was younger. You know, one of the things about being involved in a sport when you're young, especially when you're involved in a competitive sport, is this idea of working hard, being diligent, being consistent, you know, sort of keeping your promises to yourself in terms of your training. T tell me about the things that you learned that you were able to apply later on in life that didn't necessarily involve literally swimming, but taught you about chasing something that you wanted. I think you're really right when it comes to that. I ask a lot of, well, I, I get a lot of questions from younger people who are interested in doing what I do. And I always come back to the topic of having the discipline. And I really think being a competitive swimmer or being in a competitive environment with sport, it really does teach you, especially at a young age, to be very 
focused at the task in hand. It's a lot of dedication. I think regardless of which level you get to, if you have the commitment and the determination at that time and place in what you're trying to achieve, whether it's a, a large goal or it's a, a smaller step, the swimming aspect and you know the competitive sport side really does make you focus and I think the transferable skills from that will go on to you know whichever you develop later in life whether that's photography like myself or an, another profession. Was there a particular moment in your swimming career where you were especially challenged and that you had to push yourself in a way that you hadn't had to before? Did you have an experience where that, that, that comes to mind where you really had to push yourself? Yeah, I mean, all the time, really. Just most um, kids my age, they would go to school, they'd come out of school, they would probably just, you know, maybe have one or two after-school activities that week. However, you know, I was pretty much in the swimming pool four hours or say two hours a day before school and then after school I would be rushing home to you know eat something quick and then I'll be back at the pool in the evening so it really was all or nothing and I was either choosing that route to delve 100% in swimming and being a competitive athlete or it would have had to have been the other way so although my parents didn't force me or there wasn't really any point at which anyone expected me to get to but either or, um, if I wanted to compete and I wanted to, you know, be in the club, then I had to commit myself 100%. So that was a lot of hours a week in that in between, obviously, school hours, which when I was plentiful enough. <laughs> and you picked up surfing while you were in England? Yes. Yeah, so I learned how to surf in England. When I look back, I feel like surfing was the most natural progression from my swimming. A lot of people ask me how I managed to swim and shoot in the water. And I think a lot of that is due to my strength and muscle memory in competitive swimming. But it wasn't something that came easily. The ocean is obviously very different to a swimming pool and the conditions are very varied and spontaneous. But as far as learning to surf, which came before my photography, I finished my degree in London, which was which was a sport degree. And then from that, I moved down to Cornwall, which is a coastal area in England, which houses England's sort of most iconic surf breaks in which I took myself there and spent time on the beach and, you know, nourished my love for what would obviously be now the ocean and surfing. Would you say that it was just physical strength that allowed you to become adept not only at surfing, but working in the water with a camera? Or is there another quality or skill that you developed from, you know, all those years of competitive swimming that, that helped you? I think the main transferable skill from the swimming to doing the surfing and all the surfing photography is purely the strength and mental aspect, the determination. So it's a combination of those two skills. I definitely think they both take hand in each other. And I think with the physical component, if I didn't have that strength of swimming, I can safely say I don't think I would be able to get out into the waves and shoot the waves I actually swim out in of some power. Um, I find that a lot with a lot of, say, females that, you know, do shoot in the water would like to come out. I think there does seem to be a very significant barrier to the small waves to sort of larger ocean surf. And I can only put that really down to to having that 
you know, real experience in the water and that strength to just get that little bit extra to get me out there. Um, I think apart from that, being in the ocean, surfing is a completely different ball game to swimming in a pool. So when did you start picking up the camera and start shooting uh, the sport? Um, I started picking up my camera. So when I moved down to Cornwall from London after finishing my sports degree, I never really had any true idea at what I wanted to do, what I wanted to be. I was sort of skillful in a few different areas. I actually went to Venice first to study and carry on studying my music, which I got accepted into a a school of art there. However, because of my, I guess my, um, my perspective to travel and explore the world, I felt that spending the summers in Cornwall, which I was surf instructing, and I decided to become part of a sort of beach lifeguard culture, the winters took me as far as Morocco and, you know, south of France, which I ended up traveling for a while. I even went all the way to New Zealand and Australia and just took myself alone and just wanted to experience travel. However, I did have a small point and shoot camera, which my dad had given me, but I was never into photography. But I realized soon enough after traveling that I needed a purpose. And although surfing had taken me to some really amazing parts of the world, I really wanted to have something to show for it. So that's when my sort of interest in photography came in in which really it just escalated fast with, you know, a few people seeing my photos and wanting to publish them in, in, you know, obviously very small and startup publications or companies, but it led me into bigger things when I realized I actually enjoyed documenting what I saw in my travels. So when you first started off, you started off like many people who, who photograph surfing start off. You're, you're shooting from the shore. Uh, you're not immediately jumping in the water to make, make photographs. Tell us about that transition from moving to from photographing say with a long lens from from the shore to actually wanting to get into the water to make shots that are much much more intimate much more uh, immediate yeah i started you know shooting on land i was shooting shots of local events in in england and then ventured over to europe and shot some of the more international competitions um, however, I, you know, obviously with my love of the water and ocean, I, I, I kind of felt like I needed that balance to still be in the water, but I didn't really want to surf. And especially a lot of the waves and ocean breaks I, w- I was going to, they weren't really, a bit, they're a little bit too much for my ability. You know, although I can surf, it, there were waves which I wouldn't be able to um, conquer with, with my ability. So I, well, I actually did kind of throw myself on the deep end after a year when I invested in my water housing and I managed to get on a trip to Sri Lanka into the Maldives where at that time they were holding sort of a qualifying level QS event to get onto the world tour so I managed to get flown out there to document the event in which I obviously wanted to have a water housing because the you know the ocean out there is transparent and just uh, you know a, a great way to start that so I kind of just jumped in the deep end and shot some sort of really big island breaks which probably wasn't really the most safest or you know for my my experience level maybe not the best idea but I kind of always gone around or about things like that and just never really thought about what I've done before I do it so I just jump in and just see how it goes and you know it was a really pleasurable experience and I really enjoyed it and I came out safely and that's when I was hooked so you know I always really wanted to shoot in the water a lot as well as land. When you say that it was dangerous what what were the risks involved why was why was it such a challenge? Well, the Maldives is a really pleasurable place to shoot. It's it's very idyllic and iconic. The waves, you know, can get up to quite a big size. They're solid waves. The island break waves, so, you know, they have shallow bottoms, shallow reefs, a lot of 
live and coral reef you know there's a it's not you know it's it's for someone that's not trained or someone that isn't a competent swimmer you could easily get washed up on the inside which in turn would sort of leave you being dragged over the reef and scarred up rather Uh than knowing how to swim you know across to a safety channel where you know, you, you, you'd be better off. Um, also, tremendous storms come through there. So without having the right ocean knowledge or just understanding, you know, the destination, when these big tropical storms come in, then you need to know how to, you know, leave the water, make sure your boat comes. And there's just, you know, like anything, you need to really understand all the components that go with it. Also, the rips are quite hectic and very strong out there because the waves come in at such force where they're wrapping around an island break. So it's constantly pushing you into the impact zone or, or even just further away into a deep channel where if you don't have the experience of being a strong swimmer or having the right team of people around you, it, you know, it, it can potentially become quite dangerous. Uh, that's fa- fascinating. I mean, all those considerations are things I never had even thought of when it comes to uh, photographing uh, surf in, in, in the water. I'm always <laughs> thinking about big waves. I'm not thinking about currents and, and coral reefs and all those, you know, complications that could put you at, at risk. <laughs> There's many factors. So how do you, wh- what research do you normally do when you say are are going to a, a location that you've never been before? How much of it is stuff that you read? How much of it is from uh, soliciting information from people who have surfed there before? Uh, that's a good question. I guess that could kind of catch me out in the fact that I probably don't really do much research. I'm very spontaneous. So I, I tend to do my research whilst I'm doing it. Um, however, I guess as an example, there would be, you know, one wave which I swam, which is in Hawaii. Um, in Hawaii, the waves are very powerful and is for, you know, experienced swimmers and surfers only. And I always wanted to swim pipeline, which is one of the North Shore's sort of main and heaviest waves. So with that wave as such, I did sit back a lot and just sort of watch how it breaks, how the other surfers and photographers manage to get out there and, and, and you know, be amongst or be with the wave safely. Saying that, you know, after a little time on, on land and just viewing that, I did jump in and, and shoot it. But with a wave such as Pipeline, it's, you know, there's many factors with that. It's not just the fact that it's a very dangerous wave. Um, it's also heavily localized, which means, you know, sort of people that aren't familiar with it or who aren't from the area as such, you know, it, it's you're not always sort of well you're not always very welcomed out there and mm. you know you don't want to also make a mistake by being in the wrong place because it could also hinder or you know influence someone else that's out there and it could be a potential hazard so you know it is really for the most experience so with that wave I did take some time back research it researched it mainly just by speaking to people and just by watching and being a little patient and seeing how other people did it to swim out to pipeline is very unique in the fact that it's very technical. So you can't just swim out in front of the wave. You have to plan the timing between the sets. The sets, I mean, between, you know, how many waves there are before there's kind of a little section where it goes a little bit flat and then mm-hmm. the waves start coming in again. So it, it's it's really timing with that wave is impeccable. If the timing is incorrect with swimming out at that wave, it, you know, you can be dragged halfway around the island to another break. It's it's a very strong current with that. And then potentially, obviously, uh, you know, it can be very unsafe. So with that wave, yes, I did do some planning. But with the others, I, I just generally jump in and 
see what happens, I guess. It seems like early on, you probably faced so many challenges and, and, and things that you had to sort of practice until you got them right. I mean, you're dealing with sort of the, just the technical aspects of photography in terms of metering, you know, focus, all that. Then you're dealing with maybe the physical challenges of just being out there, you know, dealing with, with the waves. And as you just mentioned, having to be there and considering all the other surfers, not only the professionals, but maybe some of the people who might not, it might not be a smart idea to be out there at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so t- tell me about uh, sort of developing that skill set early on so that you could be really adept in being in the right spot at the right moment to get, to get the photograph. Well, I think this is very dependent on, you know, which wave in which destination or location around the world you're going to. There's, you know, a few different types of waves from, you know, a beach break to a reef break to an island break to a point break. So I think with general knowledge of shooting or surfing any of these waves, they take, you know, a a similar form in that all, you know, most point breaks, you can generally sit out in flat water or in a channel Therefore, you know which lens to use, maybe a longer lens. If the wave, for instance, on a point break might not be barreling as much, um, maybe you wouldn't want to necessarily be right among the action. Whereas on a beach break in another country, it might be really hollow, which basically means shooting with a much wide angle lens in the action right on top of the surfer and making that connecting moment might might be more appropriate. So it, it really depends. And I think with your knowledge of surfing and being by the ocean and being in the water, you would start to learn, obviously, A, where you like to shoot, what kind of wave it is. And then with knowing whether it's a point break or a beach break, you're going to understand the risk factors or you're going to understand where you're going to need to swim out or where you want to be, depending on what lens you're wanting to use. So it's it's like anything. I think you really have to be with it to then really understand the smaller tweaks that someone else you know, that's looking out on this that hasn't got this knowledge might not know what to do. Was there a particular trip or set of images where you felt like I'm really getting this? Not necessarily that it was your best work, but that you felt like you had had a a real breakthrough in terms of what you were trying to do? Um, One of, I guess one trip that really stood out was probably Fiji. I was there in 2012. We had a massive swell came through. We were actually shooting for the contest um, on the world tour, but that was actually postponed as a as a huge swell um, forced Fiji shores and a lot of the big wave surfers flew over for this event. Now it wasn't so much at the event that I learned anything further necessarily in shooting in the water because at this point I was actually sitting on a ski and sort of being ran in and out of the waves. They were up to about 30 feet um, on this day, so. There were a few people shooting the water. However, I was on the ski, so I had a sort of a little bit more flexibility of where to shoot from. Now, because of the sheer size of these waves and actually being there and seeing a swell of this size, it definitely brought a new appreciation to the power and strength, you know, of such uh, an absolute historic swell. Saying that, you know, the day before the swell actually came in, I was shooting in the water on a much smaller day. Um, in one of the most beautiful places, and it was the most transparent water I've ever seen. It was very remote, so that alone always makes you feel a little strange, you know, sort of going on a boat 40 miles off land and then just sort of being thrown in the ocean in the middle of nowhere. Um, However, that day I did shoot a surfer and I got a really beautiful underwater image, which has become somewhat iconic now. It actually won a National Geographic Award in the same year and although this wasn't a notable surfer on the on the tour it was 
it was a, just a, a really you know great moment I feel I captured and everything just came together where I think the point of saying this is you can go out and swim for hours and hours and hours and it really does take a lot of work just to come out with that one perfect shot with everything aligning up because it's not just you and your skill as a photographer but it's you know working in a changeable environment with another person and sort of both working together trying to get this connection of a shot so it's it's, it's not easy um, and, and it takes a lot of time to finally, you know, to see when it actually pays off. Yeah. What, what are some of the technical things that you have to contend with? Because water is very tricky because of the, the, the fraction of the water, that things that uh, you, there are a certain distance in, real, in the real world look very different through the lens of the camera. You have uh, the, the absorption of a part of the color spectrum that changes in terms of the way colors are rendered. What are some of the considerations that you have to, to make when you're shooting under those kinds of conditions, especially since they can change so rapidly and so unpredictably? Yeah, that's, that's very correct. I think the first thing is, well, the first thing I've learned is make sure your housing is set up correctly. So, so many times you can be rushing, the boat's leaving, the surfers have already gone ahead of you and they haven't waited. And, you know, the most spontaneous thing to do is just quickly getting your, ha- your, your, your camera in the housing, you know, tightening up and go. But that's the crucial time when actually, as a water photographer, you need to make sure everything is set up for pre-production. So, you know, making sure that, the camera is on the right settings you know sometimes in that rush you can just make a rookie error and just you know forget to change a setting you might have been shooting on land on and you know it has to be changed so pre-production make sure that all the camera is set up because once it's in the housing it's an absolute pain especially when you're in the middle of the ocean to have to take it out and and reset it so generally you can set the camera to what you'd be shooting in for the whole time you're in the ocean I personally shoot on manual, so I make sure I can tweak my shutter and my aperture accordingly. I have I have full range of you know bumping my ISO, my ISO up, whatever I want in the water. But I generally set it to a setting I know, which is generic, which then I can sort of you know step up or step down accordingly, so it's not too much of a change and and takes my attention away from being in the water. Because once I'm in the water, I want to make sure that my eye you know is solely focused on the waves coming in you don't want to draw attention to having to deal with the technical side when you're obviously in that position where things can go wrong so quickly apart from that just always make sure that whatever port you're using which is obviously goes over the lens onto the camera body just make sure that you know there's no water droplets um, sometimes without realizing maybe the port gets a bit sticky or it's, it's for some reason sometimes it can be great sometimes there can be water droplets that you just can't get rid of and you're constantly trying to get off in the water but you know you really need to make sure that is clean as possible um, obviously later on you're going to see that once you bring all the shots up on your computer and then I guess lastly just with the color processing you know obviously you're dealing with a lot of cyan and blue colors and when I'm color processing you know, you want to kind of, or I generally bring a little bit of sort of red into it just to reset the skin tones um, as they tend to either get sort of a blue or green tinge from the refraction or reflection of the water. So just, just making sure that the final production, you know, you don't have to do too much, but just sort of pop out those colors, but make sure the skin tone is, you know, of collaboration, shall we say. Yeah.
Join me on April 8th at the Los Angeles Center of Photography, where I'll be teaching a full day workshop on street photography. After a short presentation, we'll hit the streets and I'll walk you through my own process for seeing and photographing in the streets. Whether you're new to street photography or have some experience under your belt, you will find plenty to learn and enjoy as we explore the streets of LA together. Find out more about these and other courses offered at the Los Angeles Center of Photography by visiting lacphoto.org. You know, the, the, the surfing community, especially the community of people who are photographers of that community, at least on a professional level, there it's a very small community and probably a very tight community. Did you find any challenges in terms of, you know, negotiating your way in there? Because I can imagine that with any sort of group, they can be kind of protective of themselves and their community. But did you find that you faced any challenges in terms of navigating your way through them? I think with any area or any niche um, or any accomplishment you want to sort of get to, I think there's always going to be those sticky areas. And I think that's really what determines the people that succeed at what they do or the people that don't. And it's not so much that it comes easier to some. It's just that point where you do want to give up and there's too many sort of, you know, walls ahead of you. But then there's something inside of you which just pushes you that extra way. And then you're like, no, I can do this and I'm going to do it. And I sort of will be accepted. And I think you know, with reference to myself, you know, looking back, I think I had a pretty good, like, you know, chance and I had a pretty good sort of road really at becoming or getting to where I've got to. I think a lot of people were open-minded. Um, you know, I was sort of traveling and connecting with the right groups of people. I definitely think there were challenges. I think it was a case of definitely having to try and prove myself. I don't think that's any different to anyone else wanting to come into it. Um, I think I also got, you know, I was very lucky to have the opportunity to be one of the few females doing this because that brought a lot more attention to myself, which, you know, not always was good because sometimes I did feel a little bit separated because it's a little bit more of a boys club. But at the same time, mm -hmm. you know, I was accepted and I did get some help from, you know, a lot of the guys. And I also think that, you know, because I was slightly different and being a girl and doing this, that, you know, people were more interested and hopefully as well, that sort of inspires more girls to do it. So yes and no, there were definitely hardships and, you know, it is a very small community, but at the same time, I, I think I, I did pretty well in, in sort of, you know, being accepted and also just, I, I guess it just comes down to, I never gave up. Like yeah. I, I wanted it. So I just didn't give up and, you know, then I got there. So, you know, you're one of the few photographers, men or women who um, are, can effectively photograph in the big waves. And I'm wondering whether that experience helped sort of solidify your place in that community. Yeah, I, th I, I guess so. I, I guess it did. I think maybe not even, say, big waves or, you know, small waves or fat waves or whatever kind of waves. I think just the fact that maybe I put myself in that position, I was, the, you know, I was always there. I was always at the front line. I was always on that boat with other people to get out into the water. I, I never stood shy of sort of where I wanted to get. So, you know, that, that, that I think was the main sort of area where, you know, it helped me is I just always put myself in that position and, and I did it. So, 
they had to accept me. (laughs) (laughs) So so, so tell me about, you know, sort of taking that, that love for the water and, and for surfing and for photographing it and making a career out of it. Uh, You mentioned that initially some, um, you had some editorial use of your images early on, but how did the evolution of you being able to shoot editorial, shoot commercial and learn the skills of running a business sort of come into play? Well, I mean, it all started when I was, you know, working or, you know, um, supplying my images to local newspapers or, you know, local PR companies, you know, local magazines, you know, working on more of a regional level. And then, you know, I think through the fact that I'm quite, you know, quite a driven person and someone that I'm always looking at the next step and wanting to achieve the next thing or bettering myself, I push myself, you know, into a more international level. So from doing the regional editorial press you know hey going to a local surf event in England and shooting and I used to stand on the beach for 10 hours in cold freezing weather and didn't eat all day just because I didn't want to miss a moment and and because of that you know I pushed myself to go to Europe and then met the right people on the world tour and I started working on international events with higher you know accomplished athletes which as you know you know through photography you know your subject is just as important so if you want to sort of play with the big boys will play play with the, the high-end athletes, then you need to actually be shooting them. And, and that in turn will bring your photography up to the next level. So I did put a lot of hours in the, in the UK scene. Then I moved to the Europe scene. And then I started sort of throwing myself into more international events um, in Africa and Hawaii. And, you know, no one supported that. No one paid for that. I never made money from that. I did it and I supported myself for years and years and years. And then I started spending seasons on the North Shore where I knew that, you know, most of the top surf photographers and, you know, surfers were um, and migrate to between November and February of every year. So I put myself in that position and I, you know, hired a little beach shack just on Sunset Point and I toddled down the beach and shoot what I saw and meet some more people. And, you know, it was a very slow progression. And, and through that, you know, I always made sure that, you know, some of the magazines knew that I was around, so I'd supply editorial photography or event photography, or I'd I'd love to do my own trips. So I would always, you know, pick some surfers and shoot my own article and something I found interesting, whether it was surf-related or in sort of the later dates, if I was going to an event in Fiji, I'd always want to see other parts of the culture in the country. So I would contact the tourism board or I would you know, do a little article for an in-flight magazine. So my love of surfing and then building that up onto an international level, level gave me the leverage to then approach mainstream editorial travel and lifestyle magazines or commercial companies to then sort of transfer those skills. Mm. So I guess that's the key point where I didn't necessarily feel I wanted to stay in the niche, you know, sport of surfing and actually working for surf clients, but to sort of branch out more mainstream in understanding that there's travel and, you know, other possibilities around that and as not to limit myself to just sort of one area, which would be surfing. Yeah. You know, one of the things about uh, photographing what you do is that surfing conditions can change very rapidly and very unexpectedly. And sometimes it's the conditions you can find out fairly late in the game. And then you have to sort of be ready to get out there. Uh, talk about the sort of that part of, 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 of doing what you do. I guess that that's the stressful part. <laughs> um, when people say, do you ever have a routine? And I'm like, no, it's because I've been conditioned to like be on edge and wait for that call to then chase a swell. And I'm sure that's, you know, 
to, to a lot of the other athletes and surf photographers, I'm sure I'm on a different level that they do that every second day. And I generally spread myself into different directions. So I don't always do that. But when I do, I mean, it's yeah, crazy. When I shot um, Mavericks, which is a, a big wave spot up in Northern California, I packed my bags, my Pelican cases are all, you know, tightened up. I had all my wetsuits ready and it was like, we're going to go, we're going to shoot the wave. The contest is going to come, you know, it's going to be on tomorrow. I was actually working with CBS News, so I was going up there to help present the contest and do that. And two minutes later, I'm just about to get collected. It's like, oh, no, it's cooled off. We've got, you know, we haven't been given the green light. You know, let's hold fire for two days. And, you know, you can't. I had a friend flying in from England. You just, you just, you have to be so dedicated. I guess that was my drive. Nothing else mattered. Like, I knew I had a commitment. I knew I had to be there. I knew I wanted to be there. So I was. But as far as any everything else, it, it definitely sort of jeopardizes and really does influence your social life and or maybe just your life in general, because my life is my work, which I definitely wouldn't say is completely healthy. But then when I'm, you know, in, in the waves and swimming and watching 30 foot waves crashing to shore and the best surfers in the world surfing them and I feel alive, then I can't really complain about not having a routine. So it's like a love-hate relationship, almost like a bad boyfriend. I, I don't really know where I am <laughs> half the time, <laughs> but I still do it to myself and I'm still conditioned, although I'm trying to not so much. <laughs> yeah. You know, when, when you're collaborating with, with a surfer to, to get a shot, say for a commercial job or, or for a personal project that you're working on, what, what are the qualities that you look for in a, in a surfer in order to produce good images? Is them being like, a great surfer uh, uh, essential or is there another quality that you're looking for? You asked me that question now, I'd say the main quality just from experience and what I've been going through recently is just having a surfer, in essence, a team that you connect with and you work with. There's no point, you know, in being abroad in another country, in another culture and the team surrounding you is dysfunctional or you're not clicking. And I think, that transferring that into surfing you want to work with a surfer a you know you know b you have mutual respect with and will work and commit just as hard as you will as a photographer and has yeah a standard where i guess you can split that into two different sections it would be much more beneficial for them to be at a high high standard to actually do an article which would be more action driven a little higher technically however with a lot of expedition and sort of more about embracing the journey kind of style trips you could get away with maybe less able surfers because it's more about the lifestyle the waves might not be as highly technical where you're going mm-hmm. so Coming back to your question, I'd say for me, it's having the surfer who's a team player. A couple of years ago, you got to um, participate at the Surfing Storytellers Dinner, in which you were sitting at the table with some of the most premier surfers, photographers of several generations. Tell me what it was like to sit at a table with the likes of those people. Well, when I got the call, the email to say on my invitation, um, I remember that very clearly. I was, I think I just double checked it and just made sure it was, you know, to me. But (laughs) no, I I just, I did feel very honored. And I remember I was actually in the UK at that time and I had another commitment on at the same night and I was wondering what to do. But the main thing for me was, it was recognition. And this is just from how it made me feel before I get onto your question. But for me, I just felt near to a decade of working and struggling and being ecstatic and loving it and hating it it was just recognition that I had done something you know Mm -hmm. so for me I loved the fact of being there just 
I felt very honoured. And then obviously having being in the same room and having the chance of speaking to, you know, the co- obviously everyone else there who are accomplished, like you said, in so many different generations through skate, surfing, storytelling, video, journalism. It was, yeah, it was really lovely. It was, it, it was nice that we had been given the chance to all come together and express our love for the same thing, which I think was very rare and what I really appreciated the most. Some of the people that were there, I obviously had already, I, I knew before I'd worked with, and a lot of them I hadn't. So it was just interesting to listen to their stories and just to see also from a more sort of, I don't know, selfish point of view, actually how everyone interacts. I mean, everyone's very well accomplished. So it was interesting to see who talked more or who didn't or mm-hmm. who shared or, you know, it was just one of those kind of interesting social sort of environments. But yeah, not to say that it was it was very honourable and, and it was it was enjoyable to be amongst that very sort of unique group of artists. It was, it was very humbling. Yeah, it, it seems like it would be amazing to be in in a community of people who demonstrate the legacy that you're uh, that you're following and that you're continuing in your role as a, as a photographer. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, if you look at it like that, it, it is. And yeah, I, I, I just I think it was really well filmed too, and I really like how they portrayed us. And it'd be really nice to do something like that again. It really would. Whether or not that can happen, I think it was very rare to actually get everyone in the same place, in the same room at the same time, especially with such spontaneous, erratic lifestyles. (laughs) But it did give me, you know, it helped me in seeing the meaning behind what was produced with a lot of the guys where, you know, for instance, just films that we put out, Bella Vita, I believe, is a film that was recently launched. And, you know, I I got to speak to the guy that directed and produced that. And and just, you know, a few other people behind, obviously, Surface Journal and Steve Pesman and just... Yeah, it was it was it was very interesting, and it was nice that everyone gave that bit of time on their own time to come together. I think that's what should be most noted. Yeah. Well, you teach workshops in which you teach people um, how to photograph surfing. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about people who are interested in that? What what, what they can expect? Yeah, I do. Um, I've always felt like teaching workshops and. In essence, a part of it is giving back to the community. So when I first started doing the teaching, I wanted to do it in Cornwall where I started. So, you know, just doing some small weekend workshops just to get, you know, the students um, into the water. And I think the main thing I noticed from doing these workshops is the mental aspect of making these girls or guys realize that they don't need to be intimidated by it. I think from an outside point of view with someone that doesn't have any experience, you've got two factors. You've got that sort of block actually getting into the ocean and, and knowing how that's going to go and if you're going to enjoy it, if it'll be safe, if you can do it. A lot of people sort of shy away. And then you've got the other block, which, you know, is, is the whole stigma of it and the whole competitive side where there's a very sort of clicky niche amount of people doing it and it's quite I think it's quite intimidating really and I can see that so really from the workshops through my local community I just wanted to open up and just see really um, what scope there was in is that in actually pushing people that have that love and drive but might not be able to take that next step into actually doing it um I recently and then and then I developed that a lot more and you know when I can I do put these workshops on and I actually just did um one I actually went in and lectured at a local arts university where I ended up doing some portfolio reviews and and speaking to these students about the surf photography and they came to me and we went through their portfolios and it not only does it I think really help me in a selfish way of seeing how far I've come and then respecting that and not trying to sort of live in the future and not enjoy my present 
but then also to make sure that those people that invest time in me to learn that I open sort of a, a vortex and sort of an umbrella to then help them and nourish them and make sure that they're providing me good work and, and, a, and a drive and love for what they do, then I'll try my hardest to push that into the right hands and sort of get them that step further, which I feel I never really had when I started out. So that's how I feel about doing the workshops. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Hmm. I would say just one, one photographer. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say Tim Nunn. He is a UK based surf photographer the reason I say him is, well, firstly, his photography speaks alone. He's a very good, accomplished adventure and surf photographer. However, he is doing something very rad at the moment, which is something called the Plastic Project and is working on influencing and educating people on obviously the crisis we're in with, you know, the plastic and our oceans and, you know, helping to protect those and, and bring awareness through his love of surf photography and appreciation for the environment. He's, you know, he's been putting together a few things, which he's only just started in the last year or so. But I believe that that having the component of being a photographer, he's very humble and then also giving back and helping the environment is the way forward. So I would nominate him. Well, great. Well, Lucia, thank you so much for making time for us today. We so appreciate it. Oh, no worries. Thank you for reaching out. And yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And I hope something of what I say can be of help and inspire other people to follow their dreams and keep going at it and succeed. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Lucia for joining us on The Candid Frame. You can check out her work by visiting luciagrigi.com. Thank you for your continued support of The Candid Frame. If you haven't already, please take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store. Your ratings and comments help people to discover the great conversations like the one you heard today. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame or you'll find the link in the show notes and the Candid Frame website. Or if you just want to make a one-time contribution to the show, you can do so via PayPal by clicking on the donate button on the Candid Frame website or in the show notes. Thanks to all of you who have recently contributed to the show, including A.M. Geyer. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows. It's the fastest and most convenient way to hear and save any of the great interviews we've presented here at TCF. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at Ibarian X. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.